0: Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Cobra Dan has texted the show to say, uh, laugh out loud, Bob, you just called them the Eskimos, not the Elks. Okay. Okay, if I did, and that's going to happen once in a while. I mean, I called them the Eskimos for like 47, 48 years, right? From the time that I was five until uh, my mid, you know, early to mid 50s. So. Uh, They are are now the Edmonton Elks. I remember, I know I've told the story, uh, listening in 1973 to the Western Final in my dad's Country Squire station wagon, you know, the ones with the wood panels on the side, and Brian Hall losing it after John Beaton made an interception at the end of the game against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders to get the Edmonton Eskimos to the 1973 Grey Cup uh, en route to winning the Western Final. So there you have it. And then I cried like a baby when the uh, Eskimos lost to the uh, Rough Riders in the Grey Cup in 73. Uh, they lost to the Alouettes in 74. And then the streaker went on the ice in Calgary in about minus 25 degree weather. And Calgary was in position to win the, field, uh, the game uh, with a field goal at the end of the game. And Don Sweet slipped on the field goal attempt and missed it. And Edmonton won a thrilling 9-8 victory. They got blown out in 77, and then won five great cups from the time that I was 12 to 16, yeah, uh, from 78 until 82, it was awesome, I was spoiled, I'm spoiled, I'm telling you, all right, without further ado, let's bring aboard regular Thursday contributor to the show for GCL Diesel, providing genuine diesel parts and turbochargers at great prices since 1972, gcldiesel.com, we welcome back to the show, one of the great guys in the business to deal with, Louis DeBras, Louis, how you doing? Hey, Bob, doing well today. How are you doing? Good. So I was spoiled, right? Like, I'm a guy that grew up in the 70s and the 80s in Edmonton and watched, you know, the Eskimos win five great cups in a row, and then I watched the greatest hockey dynasty of all time, five out of seven. You, on the other hand, you grew up in Ontario. Now, were you a Leafs fan as a kid? You know what? I was kind of...
1: I would say I was in between. Uh, When I first started really following hockey, which was... I would say around 11, 12, to be honest, is when I started playing hockey, is when I started following it. Um, it was, you know, the least were the game on Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday night, so that's who I watched, but I didn't really cheer for a team. I started cheering for the Oilers, believe it or not, back, uh, which I think a lot of Canadian kids did with Wayne Gretzky and the group, the way they were playing. Um, probably when I was, 13-14 I started to really follow that team a friend of ours a good family friend Russ Waters who was from Calgary came into town to visit my mom and dad and said you have to watch this kid Gretzky play for the Edmonton Oilers and I think that was the night that he put up if I'm not mistaken seven or eight points on Hockey Night Canada
0: 69 seventy nine eighty. does that sound right
1: could be right around there yeah that'd be right around when it was it might have been a little bit later okay a little bit later how many did you put it anyway he had a bunch of points i know that so it could have been that night and uh but i would say it would be a little bit later that i was watching him and i want to think that i was around 13 14 but uh yeah you know what listen that's how it was I, I grew up in a small town in ontario never went to my first game till i was i believe 12 um and that was in buffalo maple Leafs versus buffalo at the old odd there and uh yeah, you know what? I was kind of, when I went to London to start playing junior, I was in between. It was right in the middle of Detroit, the Bruce Brothers, who I cheered for. Probert and Kosher obviously were my style of players. And I love Wendell Clark out of Toronto as well. So I kind of was right, right in the middle. I didn't really pick a side. I just... Appreciated the game.
0: Here's the problem we'd have trying to look up on short notice uh, five plus point games for Wayne Gretzky. He had 96 200, of them, Louis. Two hundred <laughs> of them, yeah. somewhere
1: around there, right? But it was anyway. He was he was established at that time. Like I said, I got into the game a little bit late, and I became a real fan immediately. But for me, just watching him, I, I had a Charlie horse. I remember it distinctly because I got hurt. We were in a tournament in King Carden over that weekend. I got a. a so, what a year would this be? What, what
0: year it? would this be, Louis? Um,
1: 83, 84. Okay. Somewhere around there. I think it was one of the years he put up over 200 for the first time. What was that? 82, 83,
0: 84? 81, 82, he put up 215. Or go. 212. He had 92 goals in 212 that year.
1: What was the 215?
0: That was 80. The next um, year years later. Yeah. So. Uh, he ended up having 212 points in 81-82, 205 in 83-84, and 215
1: in 85-86. Yeah, so it was in that it was in that three-year span for sure. It was right when he was absolutely destroying the league, and I became a fan instantly. How could you not? You know what? You put it on. I mean, Hockey Night in Canada it was it was kind of uh, it was a black and white TV. I remember up in mom and dad's bedroom because I had a Charlie horse and I was ice packing it all night. And I was sitting on their bed. They had gone out for the evening with uh, the friends from Calgary and said, you know, Russ said, hey, you got to watch this kid. And I didn't. Been a fan ever since.
0: We're joined by Louis DeBrus. Uh, I found it what, what? sorry, what year did you start playing hockey, Louis?
1: So I started when I was 11, turning 12. So he, Louis, 18. I have
0: the date for you. January 8, 1986, you had three. Uh, Wayne Gretzky had three goals and six points at there a game. Go. In Toronto, and you know what happened? The game I referenced, which was back in 79-80, that was the game that I think for a lot of, because the writer at that time, the writers had unbelievable power writer, uh, power Louis, and they were non-believers. As hard as this is to believe, they weren't sold on Wayne Gretzky, his first year in the NHL, and then he went into Toronto and and you know clocked in past Gila Fleur and you know ended up tying uh, Marcel Dion for the scoring race, and it was a six-point performance. In 79-80 in Toronto, I remember that kind of got everybody. So, so you had a couple of those. So there you go, Louis. January 8th, 86, you were at the game.
1: I wasn't at the game. I was watching it on TV.
0: Oh, okay. And so, I,
1: so yeah, so I was watching it, and that was kind of the, my first introduction, believe it or not. Up until that point in time, I just hadn't really watched a lot of hockey, to be honest. I was uh, too busy playing it. I'd rather play it, and, and and like I said back then, there was one game on Saturday night. And that was it. If you weren't in front of the TV, you weren't watching it. But I grew up as a, and and you know this about me, I would rather play the sport than watch it. You know, for me, it was it was all about playing it. We had a rink across the street. We skated it all the time. My dad built. And, you know, we would much rather be out there till 1 in the morning than doing anything else. So it wasn't until later on that I started to watch a lot of hockey, more or less in my junior days.
0: Yeah, uh, March 29th 1980, Wayne had two goals and six points against the Leafs in Toronto. That was the game that Don Ashby had a hat-trick and six points in, did not get first star. So you, you were playing hockey at six and seven, is that right? No. Oh, you no. weren't? No. You didn't start playing? Started at 11. Okay. I was <laughs> trying to do two things at once, Louie, and you okay. know I can't do that. So you didn't start playing Neither could hockey. I. Neither could I. <laughs> okay, so Louie, you'll appreciate this. You didn't start playing until hockey at eleven. And I already yeah. knew at eleven in nineteen seventy seven that I lacked the speed, talent, agility, coordination, toughness, character, and discipline to play in the NHL. Uh, I wasn't even a hasbian at eleven, I was a never was. So there you go. It's all about perspective.
1: I know Ed Panosky started late, too. I remember having that in common with him a little later than normal, let's say, right? You'd think if you start at 10, 11 years old that you're not you're not really starting late. But you're right. Kids are getting on the skates now at three, four, five years of age, even younger at some point in time. Um, and by the time they're 11, they're established players. But you know when I played a lot of different sports. Um, I'm, you know, I was kind of one of those kids that didn't played a lot of everything and then one saturday i just remember mark fournier who now lives out west here um was a kid that i was trying to track down to you know do something with on a saturday and he's his mom said you know what he's playing hockey and everybody that i tried reaching out to is this is when you had to actually get on the phone and the rotary phone and actually call your friends at their house and hope that they were there to be able to talk to them (laughs) And uh, everybody was playing hockey, so I asked my dad if I could play, and that's how I started playing hockey. He said, sure. I, start, I ended up signing up late for my first year of uh, hockey.
0: We have the goaltending guru, Kevin Weeks, coming up at 105. We know the Oilers need to address the goaltenders, uh situation. There needs to be a resolution on Mike Smith. We, we, I think it's fair to say Skinner is probably going to get 25 to 30 this year. Uh, I'm going to switch focus, though, for you, Louis, and talk about Evander Kane. Um, and, and I think it's probably 50-50 the orders find a way to make it work, and, and that's high for me to go say that much. What did you see out of the addition of Vander Kane, and how important was he, especially given the complexion of the rest of the Oilers uh, forwards?
1: It's funny, you know, I just had this conversation with my dad earlier this morning um, about what an impact he did have on the team, and he did. I mean, there's no question. He came as advertised, I'd say even maybe more than advertised. I think, I think that we really learned a lot about him as a player when he came in. When you watch a player on a day-to-day basis and you watch their habits or watch what they do consistently game in and game out, um, we have a, a, you know more of a knowledge of a player in that regard than you do if you see him once or twice a year or three times a year where you see him in one game, you're covering that game. Yeah, you see some highlights here and there. You look at the statistics, but when you watch a player on a day-to-day basis, you just really learn a lot about a player, and what we learned about Evander Kane is he's multi-dimensional. There's a there's a lot of different facets to his game. Excellent stick, big body, physical, plays with a nastiness. Not afraid, gamesmanship. He certainly gets involved. He chats a lot on the ice, which pulls a lot of people into the fight. Um, and he's an elite finisher, an elite finishing player, power four, which there's not very many of them in the league. So. What more can you say about it? I think it's been by far, since I've covered McDavid when he started in his career, um, a player that's had the most chemistry with him, aside from Leon Dreisaitl. Aside from Leon Dreisaitl on his left side, it's the number one left winger we've seen with Connor McDavid with that chemistry. So um, that always bodes well, and you always look at that as something that you would like to hold on to. But I agree with you. I I don't know what the percentage is that they get him done. I think that Evander Kane's in a position right now that. Depending on what happens with San Jose and his existing contract, um, I have no idea how that's going to settle. But he's going to test the market. I think he's going to look around and try and find the best deal financially, the best deal term. And he's, uh, you know, he's earned that right by having a great year in Edmonton. And that's, I'm sure, what he was, what he was thinking when he came to Edmonton. He looked at this roster. He saw the sentiment that they have, the elite players they have. He jumped right in and fit nicely right into that mix. I mean, instantly he jumped right in. It was an impact. Um, Scored in his first shift, uh, first chance that he had on net. So, you know, for me, it would would be incredible if they could retain him and they could sign him, but we're just going to have to let that work itself out and see what happens. Yeah,
0: I wonder whether or not they're proactive, you know what I mean, and try to create a resolution potentially with San Jose before the arbitrator takes place. I know that... We looked at a, a couple potential options, and I, I want to qualify something that I've said historically on Josh Anderson. It was my belief that uh, Don uh, is that his name? Um, Don Boyd, Don Boyd out of uh, London uh, for Columbus was the man that dug in on Josh Anderson. Um, I actually talked to the GM at the time. that would be Scott Housen. It was Tyler Wright that dug in on Josh Anderson. I did not know that. I always thought it was Donnie Boyd. You would know Donnie Boyd, uh, Louie from London. And, um, you know, I I, su- I suggested if you can't get Kane, I still think they got to have that dimension in their top six and the closest guy that might be on a bit of a rebuilding team that theoretically may be available could be a Josh Anderson type. And nobody wanted to hear it. When I said, well, if I'm Montreal, I'm asking for Borgo, and everybody lost it. They're like, you see, Borgo? Right? Like, that's that's kind of how they reacted to that. And uh, I, I thought it was a little over the top. I said, no, that's what Montreal would ask for. Obviously, the orders would have to move out to make something like that happen. But at the end of the day, Louis, do they not need a big physical winger in their top six and if a guy's got any kind of hands, does he not have a chance to kill it in Edmonton with McDavid and dry settle? maybe better than anywhere else in the league?
1: I would agree with that hundred percent. I think that it's, it's an opportunity for somebody. I, there's a part of me that almost wants to look younger. I know that Josh isn't that old, but he's had some injury problems that are concerning to me. Uh, the nature that he plays the game, love him as a player, though. always have liked them. um, I mean, he's a he's a wrecking ball out there, too. He just runs around. When he's healthy and flying, he can get a great um, amount of pace into his game. He's a very fast player for a big guy. And he can finish. I mean, he's almost scored 30 goals in the league. Now, he's only done that one time. He was off to a terrific pace when he got injured, off to a great start in his Montreal career. He slowed down a bit after that. But we know what happened in Montreal and the type of team they had there when was going on with them. They were really trying to transition and find their game. And I thought when... You know, they did kind of find it. He, again, was one of those players that started to, to, to stand out because he's, he's that type of a player. He plays on that emotion, and when he's hot, he's really hot. Um, the physicality, though, I agree with you. I think that's something that we talked about all year long. When you look at the types of teams that were in the Final Four, the, types of, the team that won it, the Avalanche could play any style of game you wanted to play against. They had big defense. I mean, Josh Manson was an excellent addition to them at the deadline. Eric Johnson, a veteran player. Yeah, they had the kill McCars and the Samuel Gerrard before he got hurt. And, you know, a young Bowen Byron, who I think, you know, probably got really overlooked at how well he played in the playoffs, considering he had to step up big time in the second round with Gerard going out. And he was the guy that started to eat up more and more minutes as the playoffs went along and looked completely steady and ready. Uh, to take a next step, and he did, and I think he's going to be an excellent young defenseman for them. That defense core is going to be locked for a while. I don't know what's going to happen with Manson as far as trying to re-sign him. Probably not. He's probably going to test the open market, but who knows what happens there. And then Devontae is another guy that maybe is the most underrated defenseman in the league. So, you know, I I look at back ends and and the, the types of defense you're going to have to go up against in order to play against that, you have to be fast, you have to be skilled, but you also have to have that physicality and size to be able to deal with that and wear a defense like that down. And you look at the forwards of the the Avalanche, everybody wanted to talk about their high-octane skill game. They leaned on you. They're big. And they leaned on you consistently, and they did what, to Tampa Bay, what Tampa Bay has done to teams for three years straight. And they beat them at their own game, essentially. So I, you know, I, I think they've, they've got a real bright future They can continue this on for a while. I think their nucleus is set. But as far as Edmonton's concerned, when I look at that series versus the Avalanche, they need to be a little bigger. They need to be a little stronger. And, yes, they need to be more offensive. They need to be able to make more plays. Um, But I do believe they're going to need some size and grit if you want to play that for an 82-game season and then into the playoffs, which becomes an over 100-game season if you go far. You have to have that, that durability and that toughness and that size to to withstand that and to be able to weather those adverse times that you're going to have during the course of a hockey season.
0: All right, uh, Louie, uh, I got a couple of texters on the Ashley Fine Floors text line, and this one says, Bob, that noise you made, eh, or that noise my phone makes, is about, yes, a on Twitter right about now. Uh, Tom Gazzola mentioned yesterday in a podcast on a, uh, what do I call it, on another platform about the fact that maybe the time has come for, uh, you know, for both parties to mutually part. Those sort of things happen once in a while. We know that. Um I think that Paul Yarby got a bit of a message during the Calgary series and picked up the physicality. Uh, we'll see how this situation plays itself out. But theoretically, if, and I'm not saying he will be, but there's a possibility it could happen, because uh, I do think that McLeod and, and Yamamoto are, are, you know, they're restricted free agents like Paul Yarby, and I, I'm pretty sure those guys, those two guys are going to be back. Theoretically, if Paul Yarby was uh, moved along, do the Oilers need to add some size in the bottom six of their forwards as a result of that?
1: Well, I think it's the same answer that I'll give you for the, the last question. They need size, period. I think they need size, period, in their in their forward group. I do. I think they need big guys that can play. Now, now yes, I did that on a, on, a, on a smaller scale and through stretches of the season. Let's not forget that. He had a terrific start to the year. And you know he was doing all that. He was big. He was just a, He was wrecking havoc on the forecheck. He was turning pucks over. The pucks were going in for him. He was getting his opportunities. He seemed to be, you know, just it's It's funny, you know you watch players when they're going, and everything seems to go well for them. the shot's getting off. you're not fanning on the shot, you're getting away at the right time. you're getting the bounce with the deflection, a puck's going off the in of net. When it's going the other way, it seems like you can do nothing right. It seems like you're just not getting the bounces. you can't create it. But what happens is it creeps into your mind and you start to get away from the things that make you successful. And I think that happened to yes I Then I think he started to get a little frustrated. And I think he, you know, To his credit, he kind of stuck with it, and at the end of the year, you're right. There were stretches and little bunches there where I thought he started to get that back, which is very difficult to do. Um, It's really hard to write that when it goes wrong, and I give him credit for sticking with it, and I thought you're right. I thought in the playoffs when he started to simplify his game, started to get physical, he's such a big guy. I mean, every time you walk by him, you look at him and just go, man, this kid's just a big kid. He's almost like like a calf moose. I know we call him the bison king, but he reminds me of a calf moose. You know, he's all legs. It's just, you know, there's legs and there's limbs, and it's, you know, finding that balance and and learning how to use that size to your benefit doesn't always come that quickly, and he's still a young man. So I haven't totally totally counted him out, to be honest with you, Bob, but I think that there are – There is a position there for him, and I think that he certainly can help you win hockey games because of that game that he can bring. And again, we go back to Nishutskin with the Avalanche. How impactful was he for the Avalanche? Not just in the regular season, more importantly in the playoffs. He was a beast. He really was. He was incredible. Every single shift I watched him, he has that long reach. He'd slash with the stick. He was turning pucks over. Uh, For a big guy, he could get there. He kept his feet moving. And then let's face it, the puck was going in for him. He was absolutely finding that scoring touch, and those are timely, huge goals that immensely helped the Avalanche win a Stanley Cup. So we have to keep that in mind, too. The young players break out at different times. If they do keep him, I still think they need to get bigger. If they can't find a way to get him signed and he moves on, they use him in a trade or whatever happens. He wants to go somewhere differently. They still need to get bigger. I, and, I, and everybody says, well, it's not all about size. Well, I'm sorry. It still is about size. It's about size that can play. Uh, I think there's still more room ever than there ever has been for the smaller player in the league right now. If you're skilled, tenacious enough, and have that elite ability to play at that level, then, yes, there's opportunities everywhere for players like that. And there's, there's a ton of them in the league now, which is great to see. But I still think... That every general manager is going to tell you that if it's an equal playing part between two guys, I'm taking the bigger guy because he could just take up more space and weather more throughout a season.
0: Louis, I hope you can stay with us for a couple more weeks here through the draft and then through free agency, okay? Yeah. Awesome. I'm around, that, bud. Say hi to Jake for me and Cindy. JoJo. Joe. See ya. You. you bet. <laughs> That is Louie DeBras joining us from NHL Hockey and Rogers. Kevin has texted the show to say, Bob, does a one-for-one, Yes, to pull your RV for Lawson Kraus work for both sides? That would be an excellent third-liner. Well, it's funny, eh? When Krauss had four goals at the start of the year, not everybody was – it's simple. You get players when their valuation is low, and that means you're going to take a bit of a risk, and not everybody's going to like the trade. Uh, That's an interesting suggestion. We'll take a quick timeout. It is 1255 in Edmonton, and you're listening to Oilers now. Uh, Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stauffer, 1256 in Edmonton. Uh, Interesting news. The Athletic is reporting that Kevin Durant has requested a trade out of Brooklyn. Does that mean both Kyrie and... Durant, looking to get there. Anyhow, we just had uh, Sportsnet Louis DeBrascon, uh, Sportsnet Color Analyst Louis DeBras, brought to you by GCL Diesel, providing genuine diesel parts and turbochargers at great prices since 1972, gcldiesel.com. Guests on this show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. It's the greatest steak you've ever had. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night in the town, every meal is an occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse. 9990 Jasper Avenue, Roos Chris in Edmonton is the 99th Roos Chris opened up in North America. Tell, Brendan and Chris at Oilers Now sent you a reminder open Wednesday through Sunday from 5 to 10 p.m. And all season long, he is a former Edmonton Eskimo and a supporter of the Edmonton Elks. And all season long, Trent Brown and the gang at James H. Brown Injury Lawyers provide you the Oilers Now Injury Report. James H. Brown, Injury Lawyers, unrivaled experience, unrivaled commitment, unrivaled results. Now, you can text us at any time at 780-496-0063. Jason from Sanguto says, Bob, streaker, question mark, rotary phone? All the kids listening are like, what? Uh, Yes, uh, from Jason from San there was a time that streaking was uh, very popular. Now, did it pick up again with the movie Old School? That's what I want to know. Somehow, I don't think so. Uh, The rotary phone, I mean, what was the joke that Terry Poole used to uh, use when he, former uh, player of Melville that played in Major League Baseball for the Houston Arrows Canadian guy, he said he came from a community so small that his phone number was eight. That was the line. You can text us at any time, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Jay says, Bob, uh, small players are a liability. Okay. Uh, hmm. Yeah. We'll we'll keep her going. Uh yep, in old school everybody got naked. Absolutely. What was it? Was blue the, the star character of old school? Was it dust in the wind that they played for him from Kansas? Love that song. 12.58 in Edmonton off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Back with Kevin Weeks from ESPN and the NHL Network on Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon
1: on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.